How many of you guys know exactly like what you want to do when you grow up? In other words, when you graduate, how many of you know, let me see a show of hands. Like, you know, exactly what you're going to do, man. That looks like 25%. So, so let me ask you this then. How many of you have no idea what you want to do? Like when you grow up, when you graduate kind of thing. Okay. So there's like, that was another 25%. I'm a little confused here. I'm a little confused right now. Okay. So so, so let's just say it's half and half. Some of you are, are pretty sure you know what you want to do when you grow up, when you graduate. Uh, others of you have no idea. How many of you are graduating seniors and you have no idea what you want to do like when you grow up or when you graduate? Okay, I'm encouraged by that. All right, all right, okay. So, so if you're graduating, at least you know uh, what you're going to do. Listen, I, I don't know about you, but like when I was in high school, when you're getting ready to graduate and then you get in college, that's what everyone asks you, right? What are you going to do? What, what's your major? Uh, what are you going to do uh, when you graduate and you are actually like, you know, doing what you do, you know, especially if you're a guy, like when you meet someone, it's like, Hey man, my, you know, my name's Clayton. Uh, you know, my name's Mark. Um, what do you do? Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor. I don't like to ever say what I do because it always like shuts down a conversation, you know? And so I don't ever really like to say, you know, what I, I'm like, oh, I'm a teacher, you know? Oh, okay. Okay. You know, yeah, that's great. So I'm not lying when I say I'm a, I'm a teacher because I do, you know, teach. So, so, but man, you get asked over and over and over again. And it's easy. I don't know about you, but it was easy for me to stress out about what I was going to do when I grew up. Like when I graduated from college and my dad always told me because he loved, he was a sales rep. He sold advertising. He loved what he did. And he, he loved going like door to door and business to business and trying to sell advertising. And uh, he always told me, he said, man, Clayton, I've not, I haven't worked a day in my life. I love what I do. And he always told me, he said, Hey, whatever you do, make sure you love what you do, that you've got a passion for it because then, then it won't be work. Then you won't ever work a day in your life if you do what you love. And as a high school kid, I was hearing that and I'm thinking, man, what could I love? What would I love doing? Like every day, day in and day out, like what would I love to do? Now I had just seen a movie when I was in high school called Twister. Okay. How many of you know what movie I'm talking about? Okay. Twister. Oh, more of you than I expected. Okay. So I just seen Twister. It's about these storm chasers. Okay. And I thought, man, I, I would love being a storm chaser. I love storms. I love lightning. Uh, I love tornadoes. I love looking at all of it. And some of you are like, dude, you're totally sick. Like that hurts. And, and, but I just loved it. I loved the way it looked. I was fascinated by weather. And so I thought I would love to be a storm chaser. I saw Twister. I thought, man, that would be awesome. Like to go and be a storm chaser. I thought I would love to do that. But as I was getting ready to graduate from high school, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was starting to stress out because I didn't know what I was going to major in. And, and some of you are like, bro, that was in high school. Like we don't, we didn't know what we were going to do in college. That's a bigger problem. And I totally get it because I've talked with so many of you who haven't known what you're going to do in college. And I know that can be a stressful and uh, anxiety giving situation. But I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and in high school, though, I, I, or when I was a senior, I just started walking with Jesus and really, and, and I began to feel called towards ministry. And so I didn't know exactly how, what I was going to do with that. I ended up going to tech and, and majoring in business and then halfway through transferring and getting my uh, degree in Christian ministry. And then I went on and did some seminary. But in the middle of that, I, I really I had no idea what, gonna, what I was going to do or what I was going to major in and how this was going to work. 
And even now, my wife asked me, she's like, if you could do anything, if you weren't in ministry and you could do anything in the world, what would you do? Now I would say, I would go back, I'd want to be an astronaut. And she's like, what? Come on, you know. I'm like, no, seriously, I love space. Like I love uh, exploring, like the universe. I say that like I'm actually an astronaut. I like looking at pictures and, and reading. I love space. And so my favorite movies are about space, like Interstellar or Arrival. Those are some of my favorite movies, Apollo 13. I I love those movies about space. But let me ask you this. What if, consider this question, what if you were to reach all of your personal and professional goals? What if you were to become in whatever it is that you do, a raving success, attaining all your professional, all your profession and your position have to offer. But you were to miss out on the purpose for which you were created. Let me ask you that again, because I really want you to think about this and consider this. As a college student, knowing what you want to do, maybe not knowing what you want to do. What if you were to reach all of your personal and professional goals, become a raving success, attaining all your profession and your position have to offer. But you were to miss out on the purpose for which you were created. To me, I don't know about you, but to me, that would be a huge tragedy. Like to attain everything this world says is what we're supposed to go after, yet miss out on the purpose for which I was created. Like miss out on the the purpose of life, like God's will for my life. And we say that all the time, right? Especially as Christians, we want to know God's will for my life. And sometimes if you've grown up in church, that's not even enough. We need to know the center. I need to be centered in God's will. I need to be in the center of God's will. So how do we know that? How do we know the purpose for which we've been created? How do we know God's will for our lives? Well, there's two ways you can find that out. One is through speculation. You can guess. You could ask people. You could read books. And you could guess and speculate as to what is the purpose of your life? Why were you created? Why do you exist in this world? What is, if you're a Christian, what is God's will for your life? You could speculate on that. So, so one option is speculation to figure it out. The second option is revelation. Speculation or revelation. That's the only two options we have to figure out the purpose for which we were created. God's will for our lives. Speculation or revelation. And as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, we never go with speculation. We don't ever go with what we think or what feels good or what sounds good or what looks good because the Bible says that our hearts are deceptive above all else. And so we can't trust our hearts. We don't follow our heart because our hearts are deceptive above all else, the Bible says. We can't follow our minds and our own thoughts. Romans 1 says that we will believe lies. We will trade the truth of God for our lives when left to our own devices. So we don't... don't, trust in speculation or our best guesses. As followers of Jesus, we rely on revelation, God's revealed plan and will that he's given us in his word. We rely on his revelation that he's given to us in Jesus of who he is and what he's like. And so we've been in a series called A New Day. 
And that comes from Matthew writing in Matthew 28 after the resurrection and and after everything that had happened and and Jesus had gone back to heaven and Matthew begins to write his account, his gospel account of the life of Christ, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He writes this in Matthew 28. After all this had happened, he looks back in the very first verse of Matthew 28. He says, as the sun was rising that day, that Sunday morning, when Jesus rose from the grave, Matthew writes this, a new day was dawning. It was a new day. A new day had dawned. And so in this series, we've been talking about what does that look like? The first week on Easter, we said, we've got a new faith. A new day means a new faith. Last week, we said in part two, uh, a new day means that we've got a new covenant and a new heart. And tonight, here's what you're going to see, that this new day, because of the resurrection of Christ from the grave, we have a new purpose. We have a new purpose for living. And you might be interested to know that your purpose for living, your purpose in this life is not a profession and it's not a position. You see, we grow up being asked, what are you going to do with your life? What are you you going to do? And we think about that always in terms of profession or position. But God's will for your life is actually not a profession or a position. It's something different. And so if you've got your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at the reason you and I exist on this planet now. It's a new day because of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. It's a new day, which means we've got a new purpose. And we find out that purpose, God's revealed purpose for us in his word. So Colossians chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible, just Pull out your phone, go to RaiderChurch.com. You can follow along with us, the verses and notes and and points. Everything will be there for you to follow along or to even keep with you as you go from here. So so Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing. And Paul is the one who was a church persecutor. He didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But then he sees Jesus risen from the grave and he gives his life to Christ and it becomes one of the greatest preachers and church planners church history has ever known. But he started out as an unbeliever. He didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe Jesus was God. He didn't believe Jesus had risen from the grave. But then he sees Jesus risen from the dead. He becomes a follower of Jesus, a preacher of Jesus, and then a martyr for Jesus. He was told, hey, quit speaking, quit preaching about Jesus. And he said, I can't help it. I've seen him risen from the dead, so I can't stop. I won't stop preaching about Jesus. And so Paul gave his life for Christ as a martyr saying he was an eyewitness of the resurrection, much like the other disciples. And Paul in his lifetime wrote a lot of letters to churches, teaching them about who Jesus is, reminding them of the gospel, the good news that we have in Christ and telling them how to do church and what it looks like to do church. And so in Colossians chapter one, we, we hear from Paul about our purpose for living, about God's will for our life. Colossians chapter 1 starting in verse 15, Paul says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So Paul is saying right here from the very beginning, Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. Fully man and fully God. And we've talked about that a lot. We talked about that some over the last year of how that's possible. He's not either or, he's both and. He's fully man and fully God. And so Paul from the very beginning is saying Jesus is God. He's not some great teacher. He's not a great prophet. We can't think that, oh, well, we like some of what he says here, but not what he says here. He's not here to give us good advice. Jesus is God in the flesh. 
And so Paul says he's the visible image of the invisible God. He existed, talking about Jesus, before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And then watch what Paul says. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realm and on earth. He, Jesus, made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Then watch what Paul says here. Everything was created through him and for him. Now, now let's make sure, let's, let's read that again, okay? I want, you to, I want you to see this. Paul says this. Everything was created through him, Jesus, and for him. So everything, all that exists was created by Jesus and exists, Paul says, for Jesus. That's the reason that you and I exist. We exist because you are a part of all things. You exist for Jesus. And so your purpose is not a profession. Your purpose in this life is not a position. Here's what your purpose is. Our purpose in this new day is a person. Our purpose is a person. It's not a profession. It's not a position. Our purpose in God's revealed word is a person. That's why you exist on this planet. That's God's will for your life is to be all about a person, the person of Jesus. And there's two aspects to this person or this purpose that transcend your personality, your location, and your profession. So regardless of the way that you're wired, what your personality is, whether you're uh, 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 outgoing or not, you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you stay here after you graduate or you go back home to Dallas or Fort Worth or Austin or San Antonio or Houston or wherever you go, whether you're a teacher, an accountant, a plumber, a lawyer, an architect, what, whatever it is, this purpose for your life and the two things that we're going to see about this purpose for your life, this person, transcend all of that, which means they are above all of those things. And they inform and teach us how to do life in that location and in that profession. So your purpose is a person. So two things about this purpose. Number one, it's to know Jesus. Your purpose here on this life is a person. And the first part about this purpose is it's to know Jesus. When I was in high school and I first started following Jesus, we did a study in my small group. I was in a small group with some other guys. And uh, the study that we did was called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And I will never forget. It's one of those simple truths that I read that just totally changed my world when I was in high school. And Henry Blackaby wrote this, quoting from John 17, verse 3. He says this, Jesus said, eternal life is that we might know you, God, and the son whom you have sent. And so Paul, or rather, Henry Blackaby said this about John 17, 3. He said, so life is about getting to know Jesus. 
That's what life is all about. Life is about getting to know Jesus. Jesus said eternal life. So life is about knowing you, God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And so Henry Blackaby just said this. So your life is about getting to know Jesus. So you should spend your time getting to know Jesus. And I know that sounds simple, but it was world shaking for me at that time that my life was about getting to know Jesus. And that's how I should spend my time. I should spend my time getting to know Jesus because that's the reason I exist on this planet is to get to know Jesus. And that absolutely changed my life. And so here's what happens though, when you get to know Jesus, like when you begin to know who he is and learn about who he is, here's the response that we give as followers of Jesus as we get to know him. Here's what we turn into. We turn into worshipers. Because as I get to know Jesus, as I follow him and spend time getting to know him and I learn about who he is and I see what he's like and I see what he wants and I see his heart, it, it can't help but turn me into a worshiper of Jesus. So I exist to know Jesus. And as I get to know him, I can't help but become a worshiper. Let me show you what I'm talking about. In Romans chapter 11, Paul says this, for everything, again, sounds like Colossians 1, everything comes from him, Jesus, and exists by his power, and then watch this, and is intended for his glory. All glory to him, to Jesus, forever. So Paul says everything comes from Jesus, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory. So everything, so that's you and me. We exist for the glory of Jesus. We become worshipers. And we see this all throughout the Gospels as people get to know Jesus. You might remember when Peter is fishing and they haven't caught fish all night. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, throw your nets on the other side. And Peter's like, Jesus, you don't understand, man. We're, we're the fishermen, like you're the carpenter. You, you, just let, you just stay in your lane, bro, right? I mean, stay in your lane, worry about yourself, and uh, let us stay, keep with the fishing. Okay, and Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, throw it, throw your nets on the other, on the other side of the boat. And, and Peter says, okay, because you say so, Lord, we'll do it. And so they throw their nets over and they catch all these fish. They don't know what to do with them. And Peter does this. He falls on his knees in front of Jesus. You see, he got to know Jesus. He saw who Jesus is. He saw what Jesus is like. He saw what Jesus can do. And he couldn't help but fall on his knees in worship. You might remember the woman who was known as a sinful woman. When Jesus was sitting down to dinner one night with some Pharisees, some religious types. She comes in with this jar of perfume and she opens the jar of perfume. And she begins to clean Jesus' feet with him with her hair and with this expensive perfume. And the religious people get all upset because they can't believe that, first of all, this sinful woman is touching Jesus. They can't believe that, that she's wasted this, this expensive uh, jar of perfume on Jesus. But all she does is sit there and weep and with her tears and with the perfume on her knees at Jesus' feet. And she shows her love for him. In other words, she worships him because she is so thankful that Jesus had told her that she had been forgiven of her sin because of her faith. 
You see, as she got to know, know Jesus and as she experienced the grace of Jesus, she couldn't help but fall on her knees and worship him and love him. In Matthew 28, after Jesus had been risen from the grave, the disciples all come together at this mountain that Jesus told them to go to. And before Jesus had uh, went, ascended into heaven, it says that they all worshiped him. You see, to know Jesus is to become a worshiper. It's why you were created. It's why you exist. It's to know him. And then as a response, as you get to know him, it's to worship him. Your purpose as a person is Jesus. And the first part of that purpose is to know Jesus. And as a response, to worship him. Here's the second part of that purpose. It's this. It's to make Jesus known. Your purpose in this new day is a person. And the first part of that purpose is to know Jesus. The second part is to make Jesus known. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this after being risen from the dead. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's Lord. Jesus rose from the grave. He, he proved that he was God by rising from the dead. And so he says, I, now I, I'm God. I, I am him. Me and the father are one. The Father's in me, I'm in the Father, and so I have all authority on heaven and on earth. And so he tells his followers, it's a command really, now go and make disciples of all the nations. Literally, it's in Greek, it's ethne, all the ethnes, all the family groups on the planet. It's people groups, it's the word we use today. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he tells his disciples, now go. It's a command. It's in the command form. Now go and make disciples of all the ethnes, all the people groups on the planet. And so Jesus gives his followers a purpose and a mission. To make disciples of all the nations. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Luke writes it like this. He says that Jesus said this before he ascended into heaven. He said, and you will be my witnesses. Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says, to the ends of the earth. And the Greek word there for witnesses is the Greek word martis. Where we get the word martyr. See, what Jesus was telling him, listen, you guys as my followers are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth regardless of what it costs you. Even if it costs you your life. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your pride. And for some of you, for many of you, Jesus was saying it's going to cost you your life. You will be my martyrs, Jesus said. You will be my martyrs. You will preach the gospel. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, regardless of what it costs you. Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Jesus sent his followers into certain danger, given the climate, given the context of the day and the time, telling them to be his witnesses, his, his martyrs in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, meant knowing he was sending them into certain danger. An immediate danger. But Jesus sent them anyways. And Jesus was called the good shepherd. We would never say a shepherd is good if they sent their lambs to the wolves. But Jesus sent 
his lambs, his sheep, his followers to the wolves saying, you will be my martyrs. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You are going to preach about me everywhere you go, regardless of the cost. And then the rest of the book of Acts is the story of the disciples, this church living out this command to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses. In Acts chapter two, Peter, who had denied Christ before, now stands up in Acts chapter two and it says, he raises his voice, he addresses the crowd, he begins to preach the gospel and he begins to tell this group that he was scared of before. You put the son of God to death on the cross. You killed the author of life. You killed the son of God. And they're totally freaked out. And they're like, what do we do? And he says, repent of your sin, give your life to Jesus and get baptized. And 3,000 people, it says, that day gave their life to Jesus because Peter is being a witness. He's being a martyr. He's standing up. He's raising his voice. He's addressing the crowd. He's preaching the gospel everywhere he goes, regardless of the cost. In Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are walking up to this place of prayer. They come up with this guy. They come up to this guy who's lame. He can't walk. He's asking for money. And they tell him silver or gold we don't have. But in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this lame man gets up and walk. And everyone freaks out. There's a crowd that forms. They're asking, how did this happen? What, how, how, are you, how can you walk now? This doesn't make sense. There's this crowd in bewilderment freaking out. Peter gets up again, begins to preach the gospel and says, it's by the name of Jesus that this man stands before you completely healed. Thousands more give their life to Jesus. Acts chapter four, Peter and John are arrested. They're brought before the religious rulers of the day. They're told, quit speaking about Jesus. Quit talking about it. The crowds are being stirred. Everyone's beginning to follow Jesus. And so they tell, quit speaking about Jesus. They had him arrested. They were beating them. And they told him, quit talking about Jesus or we're gonna arrest you and beat you and kill you. And Peter's response is this, we must obey God rather than than men. We cannot stop talking about all that we've seen and heard. We can't stop talking about this man who was dead and now has risen from the grave. Regardless of what it costs us, even if it costs us our own lives, we will continue to speak and to preach about Jesus. That's Acts chapter 4. Then they go back after they're released from prison. They go back to a prayer meeting. The church is gathered together. You would think they've just been threatened to quit talking about Jesus. But here's their prayer. God, you've heard their threats. Now enable us to speak your word with great boldness, stretch out your hand, heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They left that prayer meeting. It says preaching the word everywhere they went with boldness. In spite of the threats, they wouldn't stop preaching about Jesus. That's Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter five, They're arrested again. They're released. And it says from house to house and city to city, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Acts chapter six, it says the word of God continues to spread. The numbers of disciples are multiplying over and over and over again. The gospel spreading all throughout the Roman empire. And in Acts chapter six, there's a guy named Stephen has given his life to Jesus. He starts preaching the good news about Christ. He gets arrested. He gets brought before the religious rulers of the day, the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 7, he's preaching the gospel. Acts chapter 7, the first martyr, Stephen, gives his life for Christ. They stone him to death because he wouldn't stop talking about Jesus. At the end of Acts chapter 7, it says that there was a guy there giving approval to his death and holding the jackets while other people were stoning him. It was a guy by the name of Saul. 
who would later become Paul, who also, having seen Stephen killed for his faith, would later never stop talking about Jesus until he too was killed for his faith. Acts chapter 8, it says a great persecution broke out. And now the followers of Jesus are spread out because they, they've, they've dispersed from Jerusalem where the center of the persecution was. They've gone all over the place. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse, verse 4. It says, everywhere the believers went, they preached the good news about Jesus. This wasn't just Peter and John. This wasn't a select few. It wasn't just the pastors. It wasn't just the special or the anointed ones. No, 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 no. This was everyone. It says all the believers, Acts 8, verse 4, all the believers preached the gospel everywhere they went. Every believer was a preacher. Every follower of Jesus was a preacher of the gospel. They preached the word everywhere they went, it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. This is the story. This is church history. This is where we've come from. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. This was the, the first church. This was the kind of faith they had. This was the kind of boldness they had. This is our DNA as followers of Jesus. To preach the word with boldness everywhere we go. This is who we are. Not some watered down version that we see today where Christians are scared to do anything or say anything. That's not who we are. Paul told Timothy, you've received a spirit of power, not weakness. In Greek, it's dynamite. You've received a dynamite-like power in the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness to go everywhere and to preach the good news about Jesus. You exist as a follower of Jesus to make him known. And so our response is this, is his disciples is to be his messenger. You've been given a message as a follower of Jesus. You exist to make him known. So our response is to be his messengers. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we are Christ's ambassadors. As though we represent Christ to the world. You and I as followers of Jesus are ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives to the world. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, as though God were making his appeal to the world through us. God is making his appeal to your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighbors. He's making his appeal to them through you. Not through me. Not through whatever pastor you have at whatever church you go to when you leave here and graduate one day. No, no, no. God is making his appeal to your world through you. As his preacher, as his messenger. That's why you exist. It's to make him known. As a follower of Jesus, that's why you exist. To make him known. You are his ambassador. Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher in the 1800s, was known for saying this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You can't be a Christian, you can't be a follower of Jesus and not be a fisher of men. Jesus said, you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. This is why you exist. As a follower of Jesus, this is God's will for your life. It's to know Jesus and to make him known.
And so tonight, here's what I want you to see. It's this, is that a new day means a new purpose. And this new purpose is a person, Jesus. And regardless of your personality, the location, the profession, this is why you exist, to know Jesus and to make him known. And so Paul said this in Colossians chapter three, he said this, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever your job, this is God's will for your life. It's a person. In everything you do, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father through him. In other words, whatever you do, wherever you go, you exist to give glory to Jesus. You exist to live a life that brings glory to Jesus, that makes much of Jesus, that makes the name of Jesus famous. That's why you exist. It's to know Jesus and it's to make him known. And so whatever you do, Whatever your job is, you exist to know Jesus and make him known. Whether you're a teacher, do it for the glory of the Lord. Do it, do it to make Jesus famous. You're, you're an architect, you're, you're a plumber, you're a lawyer. You're gonna be in sports, you're gonna be a coach. Whatever you do, wherever you go, this is why you exist. It's to bring glory to Jesus, to make much of Jesus. You know, in some churches, when you grow up in them, they, they teach you Christian theology. They teach you the Bible by what's called catechisms. Anybody grow up in church and, and go through catechisms? Okay, so, so, so a few of you kind of know what I'm referring to. Well, the most popular catechisms today, there used to be longer versions of them, but it's it, it, the, the most popular one today that a lot of kids are taught, especially if you grew up in a Presbyterian church, is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the way they teach you Christian theology in catechisms is by asking you a question and then you respond to the answer. And so they'll teach kids, they'll teach youth, they'll teach new converts to Christianity catechisms by asking you a question and then you respond with the answer. And the most popular question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end or purpose of man? And here's the answer. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's what they would teach you. The chief end of man, the chief purpose of man, your existence is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So whatever you do, wherever you go, regardless of your personality, your, your location, your profession, your chief purpose in life is to glorify God, is to live for Jesus and enjoy him forever. In other words, know Jesus and make him known. That's why you exist. The very first sentence in Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life, it's one of the most sold books in the history of the world now. The very first sentence says, it's not about you. In other words, your, your life, is, it, it's not about you. If you wanna live a purpose-driven life, 
a life in the, the center of God's will? You want to live for the reason you exist on this planet? The starting place is to know it's not about me. It's not about you. He would go on to say, life is about Jesus. It's about a person. It's not a profession. It's not about a position. It's about a person. So catch this. Life is about God using you for his purposes. Not you using him for your purposes. Life is not about you using God for your purposes. Life is all about God using you for his purposes. Would you stand with me? Our team's gonna lead us in worship. And and here's what I wanna ask you to do as you stand. I just wanna ask you to bow your heads and, and to close your eyes and to have a moment with God just right now. And I wanna ask you this question again, just in prayer. Just between you and God, I asked you a question at the beginning. I'm going to ask it to you again. What if you were to reach all your personal and professional goals, become a raving success, attaining all your profession and position have to offer, but miss out on the purpose for which you were created? Jesus said it like this. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul in hell? You see, for some of you, you've been living for everything other than Jesus. You're not a follower of Jesus. And so you haven't been living for God's purpose for your life. And my guess is you you might be here right now because The things that you've been pursuing, the things that you've been going after have not satisfied you. They've not fulfilled you. They've not brought you the peace and the the joy that you know that, that you should be able to experience. And you still feel like something's missing, something's off, something's not quite right. Could it be, as the Bible says, God has placed eternity in your heart and you will never be satisfied. You will never find the fulfillment that you long for until you give your life to Jesus. Some of you have been resisting Jesus. And I want to challenge you tonight to reconsider and to give your life to Christ. Don't forfeit your soul in hell, seeking after all the things of this world. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard of a relationship with him to go to heaven when we die. We've broken God's law. If you break man's law, you pay man's fine. But if you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. The great news tonight is that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin, to pay the fine for your sin. And so the Bible says you're made right with God when you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and rose again. And you give your life to him. Your sin's totally forgiven. You can be made right with God tonight and you can know for sure that if you were to die, you would go to heaven. Some of you, you need to give your life to Jesus tonight. It's why you exist. You were designed created to do this life for a person. His name is Jesus. And for others of you, you've made that decision to follow Jesus. But as our hearts tend to do, often they wander. They wander away from Jesus. They wander away from the person we were designed to do this life with and for. And tonight, 
Don't forfeit a life that matters in light of eternity to seek after things that are just going to pass away and will leave you feeling empty every single time. Your life's about a person. Your purpose is a person. And so tonight, make it your prayer. God, through your spirit, even now in this moment, remind me that my life exists for Jesus, to know Jesus and to make him known. Holy Spirit, would you come in this moment? Fill us, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. That's our only hope, God. That's our only hope for all of this, to live a life that matters in light of eternity, to live the life that we were designed to live for the purpose we were designed to live it for. The only way that's gonna happen is if you fill us with your Holy Spirit right now, draw us back to yourself and the purpose that we were designed to live this life for. Holy Spirit, come and grow our affection, our worship, and our desire to be a messenger of Jesus.